You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled, Your Best Life, Part 3. Enjoy. Anybody remember the Nestle Plunge commercials? I mean, you got to go back some. Look them up on YouTube. But uh, there used to be an iced tea commercial. And uh, somewhere, I think people would be standing around a pool or something. They say, take the Nestle Plunge. And they just fall back right into the pool. Well, your best life is kind of like that when you just put up your arms and fall back into Jesus. Just give him your whole life. Take the Jesus plunge and give your whole self to him. That's when your best life begins. When your, your best life is lived when you completely trust him. When you purposefully, of your own free will, invest your trust wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, in Christ. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. We're continuing. This is part three of our series, Live Your Best Life. I, I, I refuse to live anything less than the life God made for me. He's prepared an abundant life for you. Why would you want to live anything less than that? And if God prepared, you know it's beyond anything you could ask of, dream, or imagine. Because he has no limitations. He never had to figure anything out. He's never uh, had to come up with the solution. He's always been the solution. Isn't that wonderful? God would always win on Jeopardy. Wow, he's, he's, wow. How long has Jeopardy been on? Anybody know? Can you imagine if God was the first contestant on Jeopardy? He'd still be on. Be amazing. <laughs> Think of all the money he'd have. Wow. God's never looked for an answer. He is the answer. God's never tried to figure anything out. He knows everything all the time, forever. He's always known everything. Hallelujah. Your best life is lived by taking the nasty plunge with Jesus. Dive in with everything. Just let go and fall into him. I like Hebrews 10. We're going to start verse 22. But take some time and read Hebrews 10. And, and boy, I, I, I wish a lot of uh, believers would get a hold of this because yeah. so many believers are living with an Old Testament mentality. They think that we're still under the law. I, and the only way you can read the New Testament and still think that is you have blinders on. Right? Romans, read Romans, read Galatians, read Hebrews, read, read it all. Right? Hebrews chapter 10 talks about Jesus being the perfect sacrifice. You know, in Romans, it says what the law could not do, Jesus did. Do you know the law can't, can't heal you? The law can't save you. The law can't deliver you. The law is perfect in of itself. It's from God. But it, God, you know, the law was only in effect for a little less than 1,500 years, less than 25% of man's time on earth. It didn't come into effect to about 2,500 years after God made man. 
Abraham, the father of our faith, lived 430 years before the law. Yet so many Christians walk around with a law mentality because they've been taught that. And Satan wants that. Why? Because uh, legalism produces death, right? The letter of the law kills, but the spirit, you have to look beyond the law to the nature and spirit of the father. It brings life. The Ten Commandments reveal to us his nature. You, you, he's trustworthy. He'll never lie to you. He'll never take advantage of you. He'll never commit adultery on you. He's faithful. But the law was given to us to show us our need for a Savior. It was uh, to teach us to look to God for our redemption. To look for the Messiah. And Hebrews 10 tells us that, that Jesus did what the law couldn't do. That the law brought about this consciousness of sin. Because they had to regularly offer these sacrifices. And we were talking about this at get-togethers. I mean, how tiresome must that have been? Sacrifice after sacrifice after for millions of people. Wow. But Jesus came so that that would never have to take place again. He was the once for all sacrifice. Hallelujah. God did away with the first so that he can install the second. If you're still living under the law, you haven't enjoyed the reality of the new covenant. We're under a, a, a law, the law of love. Right? Love is the fulfillment of the law. Love does no wrong to its neighbor. We love God and we love people. It's that simple. Right? Hebrews chapter 10, 22. We're not down on the law. We're down on legalism. The world's had it with legalism. I wish some Christians would wake up. They get so mad when you start talking about the law. They think you're putting down the law. I'm not putting down the law. Thank God for the law. The law is perfect. It's from Him. Hallelujah. There's nothing wrong with the law. But what's wrong is the heart of men. And their legalistic view of the things of God. That's what's wrong. And the law can't change that. You need a living, breathing. You need the living, breathing person of God to change that. You need God's Son to, to, to put on flesh and come to earth and walk on the earth and give himself up for you so that you can be made new and, and live in a relationship with God, not a legalistic religious tradition. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 22, we're going to read out of the Amplified, the Amplified Classic, says, let us all, this includes anyone from anywhere at any time, let us all come forward. So much better than going backwards. Isn't it? God's calling you forward. Look forward. Look forward. The past is over. Look forward. Come forward. And draw near with true, honest, and sincere hearts in unqualified assurance. What is that word in this? The definition of that word means uh, assurance that is limitless. Assurance that has no reservation. 
That's what the definition of that word means in this context. Come forward without, without reservation, without limits, an absolute conviction which, in, which engendered by faith or brought about by faith. What is faith? It's, it's the nasty plunge, isn't it? Leaning your entire human personality on God. In absolute trust. I like that word absolute. Don't be afraid of it. We have an absolute God who's given us absolute salvation. That we can absolutely trust. By the leaning of the entire personality. Human personality on God in absolute trust and confidence in your ability to do everything right. No, no. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Absolute trust and confidence in your parents, in your family tree, in your boss. In the Patriots. Oh, Pats fan. No, that's not what it says. In his power. Perfect. Death destroy. Blind eye seeing. Lame walking. Main made whole. Dumb singing power. Wisdom and goodness. It's all about his love. It's all about his power. That's why we can have absolute trust and confidence. It's not in ourselves. It's in him, his love for us. Hallelujah. Now, are you ready? We're going to read something, but I want to make sure that your religious goggles have been removed. Everyone got them off? How about, how about those religious earbuds? Earbuds, you got them off. Earbud is a dog who plays basketball, isn't it? You ever see that movie? Earbud. <laughs> they made like 20 of them, I think. <laughs> Listen, we're going all the way. We're trusting him completely. Yes. Your best life is lived when you completely trust him. Yes. Amen. Amen. Totally trust him. Not because of your ability, but because of his. When you realize Jesus has become your faith. Many have turned faith into a project, a personal work that you have to develop the rest of your life. Faith is not a project, it's a person. His name is Jesus. Paul said, my new life is lived by the faith of the Son of God. Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty two, have the faith of God. To completely trust him is to completely follow him. Yeah. 
your best life is when you're completely following him. Oh, is it good? It's so good. When you're completely following him without reservation because you know how much he cares for you. Now we're going to read something. And again, I don't start slapping religious interpretations on it. We're going to go to Mark chapter 10. Verse 17. And don't start. You, you really have to be aware of religious tradition when you read the Bible. Because you'll start inserting stuff in there that's not in there. And it will blind you from seeing the reality of what God has done for you. We focus on three things here at Highway. The real Jesus, right? Who he is. His nature, his will. Who Jesus is. What he's done for us. That's the finished work of Christ. And who we are now in him. Okay? Hallelujah. If you will grow in these three areas, your whole life will change. It covers everything. It is comprehensive. We're going to start in verse 17. We'll read it first and then we'll take it apart a little bit. All right? Now don't, don't, don't read it with religious goggles on. Okay. And when, when he, Jesus was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him. This guy's intent, right? And he asked him, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now Luke tells us that this is a ruler. Some Bibles put the heading in there, rich young ruler. He said, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? You know, Jesus is much more than a good teacher. He's God, isn't he? Jesus said unto him, why call thouest me, that's King James, why callest thou me good? There's none good but one, that is God. This man wasn't seeing Jesus as he is, was he? You know, thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Now, what did the man ask him in verse 17? What shall I do? What is he focused on? What he, well, his actions. His performance. Here's a, a person focused on his performance. And he wants to improve. Do you see that? See verse 17, go put it back up there. Verse 17. What shall I, right? He's focused on himself. This will trap you every time. What do I have to do? What, what kind of efforts do I need to put forth? What kind of classes do I need to take? What school do I need to go to? How long do I have to pray? How long do I need to read my Bible? <laughs> I know there's something that's going to entitle me to eternal life. 
Man, did I get worn out growing up. Because I had a, a long list in the denomination I was in of things I was told I needed to do. But we were never given assurance of eternal life. Never. It was an endless road. And you were hoping that you were getting closer. But deep down inside, you were afraid to say it because they'd yell at you. You just knew this wasn't working. So understand, this is this man's frame of reference. He's focused on himself. And somehow there's got to be some, something I can do to somehow earn eternal life. So Jesus speaks to him from the vantage point from which he came to Jesus. First he says, why are you calling me good? And then he says, you know the commandments. He's talking to this man as this man approached him. Hmm. Do you know that your image of God can keep you from knowing him? Jesus. If your image of God isn't true? Man's religion has produced a wrong image of God. That keeps people by the millions away from him. We want to destroy that image. And we want people to see the real Jesus. Because he is gentle and kind. And pure and loving and righteous and holy. And perfect in power. He says, you know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't lie. Bear false witness. Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. And this man said unto Jesus, Master, check. Right? All these things I've observed from my youth. So Jesus, beholding him, scolded him. No. No. He loved him. He loves you. With all our wrong concepts or foolish things we may do, he loves us. He doesn't scold us, he loves us. He wants to love you into wholeness. Not scold you. He wants to love you. No matter how stupid I am, he wants to love me. No matter how many dumb things I do, he's there loving me. I need a God who will love me if I'm stupid. Not that I've ever done anything stupid. Just in case. It's nice to know that he'll love me. Stupid all, my grandpa would say. Right? My grandma. So Jesus beholding him loved him. When God looks at you, he sees your best life. He sees you enjoying everything he's provided for you. He sees you free from fear. He sees your body whole and your mind sound. He sees you walking in joy and peace. He sees you fulfilling your destiny. He sees that when he looks at you. He loves you. 
And so when he's looking at you, if there's something hindering you from living the vision he has for your life, he wants to make you aware of that. So that you can be free from it. Now in this instance, there was something hindering this man from living his best life. So Jesus loving him says there's one thing you lack. There's one thing that's tripping you up. Go your way, sell whatsoever you have, and give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. Now, is Jesus saying this to the whole crowd? He's saying this to the person he's talking to. Don't take something Jesus said out of context and build a religious doctrine from it. There are those who have made this a creed. We've got to sell everything we have, give it to the poor, and follow Jesus. He's not talking to everybody. He's talking specifically to this man because there is a specific hindrance, stumbling block in this man's life. This is not a doctrine for everyone to follow. Oh, my goodness. In the, in the tradition I grew up in, uh, part of those who, were, uh, who wore the uniform had to take a vow of poverty. They weren't allowed to own anything. That's ungodly. Jesus came to destroy poverty. Poverty came from the curse of sin. Jesus became poor on the cross so that you would be rich today. Isn't religion backwards? We're taking a vow for the very thing Jesus came to redeem us from. So don't do that. Don't read with religious goggles on. He's speaking to this man who came to him. So take up the cross and follow me and look at the man's response. And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved. For he had great possessions. What does that really mean? Great possessions had him. Right? The message says this in verse 21. Jesus looked him hard in the eye. And loved him. He said there's one thing left. Go sell whatever you own and give it to the poor. All your wealth will then be heavenly wealth and come follow me. Verse 22. The man's face clouded over. This was the last thing he expected to hear. And he walked off with a heavy heart. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let go. Now, if Jesus gave you a personal invitation to do something, what could grieve you about that invitation? In your heart, you think there's something better that you have than what he wants to give you. Right? It wouldn't make any sense if Jesus gave me a personal invitation for me to be sad and grieved. I must think that I know better. 
right? That what I've got is better than his personal invitation to follow him. And I don't blame people for thinking that way because of the religious traditions they've come from. I understand that. You're, you're, you're taught to be afraid of God because he's going to take something from you. Nothing could be further from the truth. God's trying to give his whole self to you. Verse 23, and Jesus looked around and saith unto his disciples, now don't read with your religious goggles on, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? This is how they translated that into the English. People have taken this and said it's bad to be rich. That's not what Jesus taught. Look what, look, and there's a lot of proof of that if you just keep reading. Verse 24, and the disciples were astonished. See, we're taught that Jesus was poor. And the disciples were poor. And one of, one of my heroes was a man I, I, I never got to personally meet, but I, he was at the church I, I went to when I first came to New England back in 96, I think it was. His name is Peter Daniels, and he's a... Uh, I, don't, I don't know if he's still with us, but uh, he's a, a billionaire, and he, I believe he lived in Australia. Uh, but he, uh, amazing man, when he grew up, they basically told his parents there's no hope for him. He's brain dead. He's, he, 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 they kicked him out of school, if I remember the story correctly, and he uh, became a bricklayer. And in his adult life, Billy Graham came to his hometown when he went as an adult, and he went to listen to Billy Graham. And... Billy Graham was preaching that Jesus is the king of kings and that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you become the son of a king. And he believed him. And he put his faith, and I remember he hearing him tell this story, and I believe in one of the books I read by him, he told the story as well. It's been a long time, so pardon me if I don't get all the details right. But he said, wait, if that's true, then if I put my faith in Jesus, even though you know the, the, the institutions kicked him out and said he's never going to amount to anything, if I put my faith in Jesus... I can become the son of a king. And he put his faith in Christ and he was born again. And so he got a hold of, he, wanted, he couldn't read. So he wanted to learn to read. So he got a hold of a dictionary and went around his hometown and he opened it up and he'd ask people, what does this say? And they tell him this word is this and it means this. And, and that's how he learned to read. And, and I forget how many books he read, read a year in his life. It was hundreds. It was like crazy amounts. It was several hundred books a year he would read. He, he just you know, could digest information. And he was a man that became very wealthy. And on, the, on his license plate, on his Rolls Royce, he had several of them. He put something like son of a king. But faith in Christ changed. And here's what I wanted to say to you. And, and, and he became someone who was invited by the United Nations for, for counsel. He was a very influential man. But he hired, at some point in his life, he hired a team of professionals to research the, the, the wise men that, that came to see Jesus and how much uh, was their entourage, how, what was the monetary value of everything they came to give Jesus uh, when he was about two years old. You know, the wise men didn't come to the manger, right? That's the Christmas tradition, but they came to Jesus' house, if you read the scriptures, and he was about two years old, okay? But they brought, they, came, they traveled an entourage, so these team of professionals, professionals studied historically, sociologically, and, and they came up with a number, and I don't remember it was, 
but I don't want, I'm going to say much less than it was, but it was millions and millions and millions of dollars that they gave and presented to the baby Jesus, to, to the little boy Jesus, two years old. We, there, there are gold, frankincense, and myrrh that are listed, but there are many other things that an entourage like this who traveled from afar would have brought unto them. They laid wealth at his feet. You don't get taught this, right, in religion, right? Jesus wore a seamless garment, expensive garment. When did Jesus become poor? On the cross, right? That we, through his poverty, might be rich. The disciples were doing well. They had a family business, and they were doing well. They were astonished when Jesus said this. Why? Because they're thinking, uh-oh, uh -oh. Right? you know, they're doing well financially. But Jesus answered again and said unto them in verse 24, children, how hard, are you still with me? Did I pop your religious bubble? There's no poor Jesus. The only poor Jesus was on the cross. Now you could argue, obviously coming down from heaven and laying down his glory, that's a, that's a demotion, right? I, I, can, I can agree with that. Hallelujah. So he clarifies what he's saying. He says, children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches. When you're trusting in something, that means you're looking to that something to save you. You're looking to that something for peace, for security, for wholeness, for your future. And that could be anything. Could be money, could be your family, could be your children, could be your job, could be the Patriots. Not really. Yeah, not this year. <laughs> mm. Yeah, so Jesus clarifies. He says how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man, someone trusting in riches or anything else for that matter, to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure saying among themselves who they can be saying. Is it, isn't this good? And Jesus looking upon them saith with men it's impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are impossible. In other words, Jesus can set you free from anything you're trusting in. You may have been living the last 50 years trusting in something, but it's not impossible to let go of that because he loves you so much. The message says this, Jesus was blunt in verse 27. No chance at all if you think you can pull it off by yourself. In other words, they said, who can be saved, right? He says, no chance at all if you think you can pull it off by yourself. That's what this man said who came to Jesus. He thought he could pull it off, right? There's no chance of being saved if you think you can pull it off by yourself. Every chance in the world if you let go, if you let God do it. Verse 28. Now this further proves what I'm saying. Then Peter began to say unto them, Lo, we've left all. They left their family business and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man or woman that hath left house 
or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake to follow me and the sake of the good news that I've brought into the earth. Verse 30, but he shall receive a hundredfold, a hundred times now, now. In this time, in this life, now, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. With persecutions. Why? Because people have been told that it's bad to be rich. And, they, and they'll ridicule you and, and make fun of you and say things about you. Being rich is good. Study the scriptures. Those who followed God, he prospered them. Abraham, the father of our faith, was exceedingly wealthy because he took God at his word. Wrong ideas about wealth. It's godly. It's good. Hallelujah. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth. And he adds no sorrow to it. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. I just quoted to you out of the book of Proverbs from two separate Proverbs. Get that stupid thinking out of your mind. I had a relative growing up that said all kinds of ungodly things and was mad at, at, at people who had, had money. As if they did something wrong or as if they were bad because they were wealthy. How stupid is that? Really? And as I got older and, and I got to know many people, people who did very well, and I thought, boy, I, I really, I'm learning a lot from these people. Yeah. Why would I think bad of them? Because they've done well. Isn't that what some politicians want you to think? The rich have taken all your money. That's a political strategy to get your loyalty. Right? Let's do away with the bad rich people so the politicians can take care of me. That's a bunch of baloney is what it is. Don't let anyone tell you that. God wants to prosper you. Yes. If I see someone who's done well, I want to learn from them, not criticize them. My oh my. Hundredfold is time. And in the world to come, eternal life. Wow. So what is Jesus doing? So this... this if the, this man who came to him would have known, would have stuck around and heard what Jesus said, he would have multiplied his assets by a hundred times. So he walked away from the greatest deal of his life. He walked away greed from the greatest investment of his life to follow Christ. Didn't he? Did Jesus say he would have gotten a hundred times as much? He was a wealthy man. He was sad about getting a hundred times as much. He was sad because he had a wrong concept of God. Get rid of your wrong concepts of God. He didn't call you into poverty. He called you to prosper. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's, it's your best life following him. This man missed the greatest financial opportunity 
of his lifetime to follow Christ. Religion gets really mad at me saying these things, but that's okay. Religion will kill you. Jesus will heal you. We don't preach religion here. We preach Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, we're going to finish with this scripture. In Luke chapter 9, verse 57. You see, what was Jesus calling this man to? A total commitment. Right? Jesus knew that this man was trusting in something that couldn't bring him life. That couldn't save him, that couldn't heal him, that couldn't deliver him, that, that, that this man would never fulfill his destiny as long as he was trusting in his possessions. Jesus knew that. He loved him and he wanted him to live his best life. And you know what? He's asking and calling all of us to total commitment. If you're 87% committed to following Christ, you'll never live your best life. If you're 94.3% committed to following Christ, you'll never live your best life. It takes all of you. It's a 100% all-in commitment for the rest of my life. That's my best life. So in, in, in verse 57 of chapter 9, Jesus is kind of same thing. He's calling people to commitment. It says, now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus is so good. He sees, sees to the heart, doesn't he? And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Are you willing to do that? Then he said to another, follow me. Jesus said this to him, another invitation. But, don't ever say but if the Lord invites you to do something. Just save yourself time. Say, show me. Say, show me. You show me how. You show me, Lord. You show me. Yes, Lord. You show me. Okay. You can do it, God. Go. So here's, here's God in the flesh. He says, follow me. But the person he invites into, the, into his best, just invited this person into their best life. Says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. I remember when I was overseas and my grandfather passed and, and, it, it, and, I, and I, 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 you know, I was, it would have been a challenge. I was in the military to get back there. Then I prayed and the Lord said this scripture to me. Let the dead bury their dead. You go and preach the good news. Are you clinging too tightly to your family? Come on. First let me go and bury my father. Jesus said let the dead bury their own dead. You go and preach the kingdom of God. We're all in, aren't we? Yes, yeah. Verse 60, uh, Jesus, in the message translation, says this, Jesus refused. 
I like that. Verse 60 in the message, Jesus refused. First things first. Are you telling me Jesus is more important than my dad or my mom or my kids? Yes. Without question. There's no contest. Moms don't hold on to your kids. I had a mom that made me her favorite and it was disgusting to me because all the other kids knew I was the favorite and she, and I could do no and she it was a, it was a, it was not good <laughs> don't don't do that with your kids don't do it with them moms don't make your sons the center of your life oh boy Don't make your children, parents, the center of your life. Jesus is. Make the son the center of your life. First things first. I like this. Your business is life, not death. I don't care what happens to my body when I go. You, you, can, you can toss me in a river. I don't care. Put me out at Monday's Garbage Day in Dighton. Just toss me in the bucket and send me up. <laughs> Make sure I'm in a Dighton bag, though, because they won't pick me up for another week. Right? Your business is life, not death. Your business is life, not death. Your business is life, not death. Your business is life. Not death. Your business is life, not death. And life is urgent. Announce God's kingdom. Woo! Verse 61, and another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my home. Jesus said to them, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Well, in other words, I'm getting my comfort from somewhere else other than you. Are you getting your comfort from your family or from your relationship with Christ? I mean, I had some good family food growing up. But it, it just can't even compare to how sweet Jesus tastes. Amen. The message says it this way, verse 62, Jesus said, no procrastination, no backward looks. You can't put God's kingdom off till tomorrow. Seize the day. Seize the day. The time to take the nasty plunge with Jesus is now. The time to live your best life is now. Seize this moment. Make up your mind. It's today. Now I will follow you. No matter what loose ends are in my life, today I'm going to follow you with all that I am. My life from this moment on is going to be all about you. It's going to be all about knowing you. It's going to be all about worshiping you, following you, having a conversation with you, hearing your voice, and following your instruction for my life. Amen. 
We're all in. Highway's all in. Come on, we're all in. That's what it's all about. Hallelujah. All right, let's finish with this. I do want to read this out loud. Philippians 3, Paul said it this way. And as far as his profession go, his industry, Paul was at the top of his game as a Pharisee of Pharisees. He had, he had the best, and he was the, at the top of his game. And he said this in verse 8 of Philippians 3, this is the Amplified Classic, said, Yes, furthermore, I count everything as loss compared to the possession of the priceless privilege, the overwhelming preciousness, the surpassing worth and supreme advantage of knowing, experiencing, tasting daily Christ Jesus my Lord and of progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with him of perceiving and recognizing and understanding him more fully and clearly that's your best life right there that's your best life that's what unlocks it and that's what keeps you moving forward in it Verse 10, for my determined purpose, the decision I've made of my own free will is that I may know him. Not about, not just about him. That I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him. Perceiving, recognizing, understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. And that I may in that same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection, which it exerts over believers. Hallelujah. It's our best life. Thank you, Jesus, for calling us. Thank you for a personal invitation to walk with you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for speaking to our hearts. Holy Spirit, thank you for revealing right now anything in our lives that we're putting above you. Whether it be parents, spouse, children, job, possessions, money, uh, automobile, what, it doesn't matter what it is, anything that we're trusting in above you. Doesn't take long to know what that is, does it? We give it to you right now. We give it to you right now. We choose to follow you. It's our determined purpose to become more into, intimate with you every day. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life He came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.